So last week I saw this movie that uh, I've actually been wanting to see it since it came out, which was 20 years ago. Um, I just I just never got to it. I was always ready to watch it or rent it or whatever. And uh, anyway, finally got to see it. Remember the uh, the Mel Gibson movie, The Patriot? Um, that was it. And uh, I really loved it. It was a great great story, great movie. It's set. If you don't know the story, it's set during the Revolutionary War. Mel Gibson is the leader of this uh, group of militia rebels who are going up against the Redcoats, the British. Um, it begins, uh, they're, in, they're in South Carolina, and they, they, they gather at this assembly to vote on whether they're going to go to war or not. And uh, they vote, yes, they're going to go to war, but he votes no, Mel Gibson. He, uh, he believes in the cause, but not the violence. Um, he himself was a, a warrior before the revolution and uh, had terrible experiences uh, of war, and he just doesn't want to see it happen again. He's got seven kids. He doesn't want to see them pulled into this. So he says no until um, one of his kids is killed. And his oldest is actually uh, captured by the British. Heath Ledger plays the oldest son. And then he joins the fight. Um, it's a little bit almost, almost kind of like a, an American Braveheart, uh, this movie, in some respects. They start winning. Um, they, keep, they start pushing back against the British kind of in this militia, guerrilla warfare type. Um, so the British realize what's going on and they retaliate in a, in a horrible way. They, uh, they find out where the families of these rebels live and are hiding. And they just, they go there and they just perform these awful uh, war crimes, really, these atrocities against these totally innocent family members of these rebels. Um, they're devastated, um, and they're deflated and discouraged. Um, and there's this scene where Mel Gibson, who's really the commander of these guys, he says to them, you can go home. Um, don't, I know you made a commitment to this cause, but don't feel like you have to stay. Go home to your families or what's left of them. Pick up the pieces if you, if you want. Um, but they don't. Well, they do. They do for a little while. They go home and pick up the pieces. But then very shortly afterwards, they come back uh, for the fight. And um, I don't know. I just thought it was sort of a, in a way, it was sort of like a great lesson, I think, in uh, leadership. What Mel Gibson does or what he doesn't do, really. I'm not going to force you to fight. I hope you do. I hope you come back but I'm not going to mandate it. I'll give you the freedom to decide what you're going to do. I wonder, was, was that freedom, the freedom that he offered them, the reason they returned? I mean, certainly the cause had to be a factor, but was it also the fact that they weren't compelled? He gave them the freedom to say no. Did that freedom ultimately lead to the yes? I think a lot of times it does. Um, look at this gospel. I mean, this is the greatest yes of all time. It's the Blessed Mother. Um, you know what God doesn't force Mary to do? He doesn't force her to say yes. This angel appears, we just heard the story. The angel doesn't say, you have to do this. I'm requiring you to do this. 
he asks her. God always respects our freedom. I think there's clearly things God wants of us, from us. There's things God hopes we do, but he never forces it. He never forces us to do anything. He always respects our freedom. But it gets complicated. I mean, okay, I, you know, I get the freedom thing and the, the value of that, but too much freedom can be crazy, right? Too much freedom can become lawlessness. Heartache that comes from too much freedom. Remember when I was uh, at St. Anthony's High School, there was a kid, um, kid who was expelled. He was a sophomore at the time, and I knew him. Everybody kind of knew him. He was always in trouble, um, so many times uh, in trouble for different reasons, on probation multiple times, and ultimately it was just, it was too much. He just, they really had to let him go, and they worked with him. They tried, but uh, eventually he got kicked out, and I remember maybe like six months or so after he left the school, the kid's father reached out to me, and he uh, he was asking for, he wanted to know if I could refer a, a counselor or a therapist for his son. Because he was realizing that this kid had problems that needed to be worked out and talked through. And so I did. I referred him to a counselor that I knew. And then the father just started to talk to me a bit on the phone. He told me about his father and the house that he grew up in. And he really described like this tyrant, essentially, this guy who was just very oppressive, very controlling, sounded like a drill sergeant. It was a freedomless house in a, in a lot of ways, at least according to this adult son. And he said, he was very honest, he said, you know, as soon as he was able, he rebelled. I mean, even before he was able, as a little kid, he used to push back against this controlling presence. But eventually, when he was old enough, I don't know, maybe out of high school, he was like, I'm done. And, he, and then he didn't, he didn't listen to him at all. He eventually had kids of his own. This one that I knew was his, his first. And he said, he told me, he said he, he, he did the opposite. He was like, I will never be my father. I will never raise my kid the way this guy raised us. But now he was regretting an aspect of that because he just went too far the other way. He was like, we had no rules. There was no structure. I let them pretty much do whatever they wanted. It was little order. And now he was paying the price because this kid just couldn't really survive in this structure of this high school. It was just a sad story of like, I think, a tale of two extremes. I don't know, I think there's something about this relationship between freedom and obedience. I guess you could offer too much freedom, right? Freedom, can't you? And you could almost, you could impose too much demand of obedience as well. I think when it's too much of each, inevitably they, they both explode. So which one is it? I mean, I think it's gotta be probably a, a healthy balance of the two. They're both needed, they're both true. But too much of one and not enough of the other and you got this guy and his kid. You know, I was reading this, or I saw this article, um, which t the title 
kind of caught my attention. Um, it was written by a group of uh, sociologists who were talking about parenting and the whole question of obedience and how much should you impose on your kids and how much is too much, what's not enough. Anyway, this was the title of this article. Do you want to raise an obedient child? That seems like kind of an old brainer, right? Like, of course you do. Of course you want your kid to follow the rules and to be obedient. But this is the, this is the subtitle. It may be dangerous to raise a child who automatically always obeys. Listen to this. Most parents feel embarrassed when their kids disobey them. When we say jump, they're supposed to jump right away. If they don't, isn't that evidence that we haven't done a good job? Actually, no. It would certainly be more convenient if our kids responded to our raised eyebrow by jumping when we say. But it may be even be dangerous to raise a child who obeys automatically who swallows his objections and does what he's told without ever a question. Here's why. And this is really the point. And I think this is interesting. He says, they say, obedient children usually grow into obedient adults. They're less likely to stand up for themselves and more likely to be taken advantage of. They're also capable of simply following orders without question without taking responsibility for their actions. And he gives examples from their, I guess, their research. Kids who were bullied and just tolerated it, didn't push back, never told anybody, who just kind of accepted it. Kid who was, he talks about a, a kid who was, I think, 10 or 11 and playing soccer. And this adult, this coach comes up and screams at this kid like humiliates this kid publicly, gets in the kid's face. And the kid just, you know, the kid, what was the kid gonna do? The kid just kinda sat there, but never told anybody. Eventually word got out, or somebody else witnessed it. But the kid just didn't feel that he should say anything. All kinds of abuse that are, that's just sort of tolerated and accepted. They go on to say, are these, are these kids responsible for what happened to them? Of course not. And if they'd been able to say no louder, would these events still have happened as they did? Maybe, but maybe not. We really can't know, but we do know that bullies select targets who think won't stand up to them. Well, that makes sense, right? Research shows that teens are, are resistant, more resistant to peer pressure if they're used to asserting their opinions with their parents. The truth is, no parent can know what their child will have to face. So we give them the tools we've got. One resource is the ability to stand up for oneself, to raise their voice and refuse to go along with the person who's trying to take advantage. That doesn't mean you don't set limits. Sometimes kids have to do what adults say, of course. The kids also need to learn that they have a right to say no sometimes. So, if you've always thought that your children should be obedient, I invite you to reconsider. Respectful and cooperative, of course, absolutely. Kids grow up that, grow up that way when we listen to their thoughts, 
and we treat them with respect and invite cooperation by working together on solutions. Well, I mean, I don't have any kids. Uh, so it's easy for me to say, like, this is the way to do it. Maybe this is a little naive. Maybe it's a little idealistic, especially if you have a couple of teenagers. But maybe it's also kind of true and kind of right. Maybe it's really what we're called to be. Today in this gospel, we remember somebody who was like ultimately obedient. This is the greatest yes that was ever played out, Mary's yes to God. If there's no yes today, there's no Christmas Eve on Thursday. So we celebrate obedience. This article's kind of trashing it or warning against too much of it, which I get and I agree with. But there's got to be something said for obedience. I mean, Mary is our, one of our heroes. And this is, this is what we, we honor and emulate about her. The fact that she was obedient. What she say? Look what she says. Be it done unto me according to your will. I am the handmaid of the Lord. In other words, Mary says, yes, I'll do what you're asking. Yes, okay. She didn't understand it. She was frightened by it. There was a ton of uncertainty connected to it. But she knew it was God, and she wouldn't say no to God. I think Mary said yes because she knew the one who was, who was asking. Mary knew God. Mary was a person of prayer. So she knew, like, if God, if God is asking me to do this, how can I say no? God is not going to send me to a wrong place. He may send me to a challenging place, but it'll never be a, it'll never be a false place. I mean, maybe that's why in that movie, those rebels, they came back. Because they knew Mel Gibson was an honorable guy, they, but he wasn't God. But he represented the truth, and they knew it. So they said, yes, we will come back and fight. Mary was able to do the truth because she knew the truth. I think it's a whole lot easier to know what God wants of us when we know God. If we've got a relationship with God, then we've got a better chance of figuring out what God is asking of us. And he's, for every one of us, he's got, he's got a plan. He's got marching orders for all of us. Old, young, doesn't matter. Every day he's got marching orders. Are we saying yes or mm, I don't know? Are we saying yes or, or flat out no? I guess Mary had a, well, we know she must have had an amazing foundation in who God is. And that must have helped. When you haven't got that foundation, it's not so easy to know. You know, it's the fourth Sunday of Advent and we're here in church. You all get it. You're all here. Doesn't mean we all do it right, but we get it. We know we need to be here. We know we need to know who God is. 
Because the more we know God, the more we're able to say yes to what God wants. And that equals a great life. You know, the, the churches or the, the parking lots this Thursday and Friday will be packed. Well, I think with people, and I'm not judging them so much. I'm just saying I don't think they get it. They don't get it as much. It's once or twice a year. I want to know God, but from at a very safe distance. I don't want Jesus asking me to do something difficult. So I keep my distance. And you don't. You know, you hear about these Catholic, Catholic colleges and universities. I was listening to a, a news story about this not too long ago. Who are more and more, some of them are, try, are stepping away from their Catholic identity. They're saying, well, we're not really a Catholic university anymore. We're a, a university in a, with, a, in a, with a Catholic tradition. So we, you know, our history is very Catholic, but we're not really uh, directly promoting the Christian ethic so much anymore. It's one among many. Catholic colleges, historically, I mean, no matter what your degree was, in order to graduate, you had to do a couple of credits of, a couple of classes in theology, a couple of classes in philosophy. Foundational stuff. And the principle behind that was, man, if you know who God is, if you have a sense of what this whole Christianity thing is about, you're gonna be in a better place in the course of your life. But now what they're debating is, ah, maybe we really shouldn't require that because theology and philosophy are just studies among many others. So, some places what, you know, you no longer have to take this, you take a, a gender studies class, or a ethnic studies, or a race studies class. Cause that's the same as theology. It's the equivalent of philosophy. You know, I don't know about you, but uh, if I'm, a, if I'm a, a junior in college, and I just found out my, my sister or my best friend or my mother was diagnosed with cancer and it's serious. And I'm scared. You know what I'm not gonna go looking at is my gender studies notes. They're not really gonna help. Or if I've just if I've been out working a couple of years since graduation and I'm at work and I'm doing well, but I'm now being kind of pushed to maybe do unethical stuff for the, for the company and I'm becoming more and more conflicted and I know this isn't right. I also know if I push back, I'm gonna lose my job. What do I do? If I take out my notebook, the, uh, the gay and lesbian studies class I took, I don't think that's really gonna help me in that moment. But philosophy, like how to live your life, theology, how to know who God is, how to build a relationship with God, finding the meaning and the purpose of life, man, some of that will help, because that is foundational. If I'm a person of prayer, chances are I'm gonna do a better job of answering those questions. And I will say yes to what God wants. I saw this quote, listen to this, I thought this was interesting. Morality, it's the difference between morality and obedience. Morality is doing what's right no matter what you're told. That makes sense, right? Obedience is doing what you're told no matter what's right. Or at least blind obedience. Morality, doing what's right no matter what you're told. 
Obedience is doing what we're told no matter what's right. How about this? Morality is obedience to the truth. I'm a moral person when I'm obedient to God's truth. That was Mary. And it can be us. It needs to be us.